Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Nothing About You Says Computer Technology, a podcast about cybersecurity and data privacy viewed through the lens of diverse voices. I'm your host, Anthony, a cybersecurity, data privacy, and regulatory attorney based in Oklahoma City. While I am a lawyer, I am not your lawyer, and this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Instead, think of this as a conversation between friends. But if you need legal advice, please, please, please find a local attorney that can help you. Today, we have an amazing episode. I interviewed Ayanna Lott Pollard, the executive director of Resilient Coders. We chat about her journey from healthcare and not-for-profits to technology, her work at Resilient Coders, and how tech can be a driver for economic advancement for people of color, along with the discussion of diversity in the technology sector. I hope you enjoy our conversation. We are super excited to have Ayana Lott Pollard, the executive director of Resilient Coders here today. Ayana is a business leader who has over 20 years of experience in leading high performance teams who now runs a nonprofit that helps people of color pivot into the tech careers. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Ayana. I know I just gave you a very short introduction, but could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you for the introduction. And sure, um, as you said, my name's Ayana Lot Pollard. I was born and raised in Philadelphia and was educated by the Philadelphia public school system all the way uh, through Temple University. I majored in journalism, um, believing at the time that I would be a broadcast journalist. I wanted to be the next Oprah. And I quickly found out that we already had Oprah. We didn't need another one. So I did not pursue broadcast journalism because um, starting in that career, the income was just so low. And as the oldest of four children with siblings going through college as well, I knew I had to figure something else out. And so I went into advertising, which led me to have such a great opportunity to work in multiple industries, which was the foundation to my career and also led me over into operations. When you are in advertising, you get to do everything. You're developing the strategy for a business. You're doing copy. uh, You're writing copy at times. Sometimes you're the voice talent. So it just opened me up to a lot. From there, I went to school for my MBA and um, have just been taking classes at Harvard Business Extension School, Columbia University, just to hone my skills so that as I'm working in organizations, I can continue to flex and do different things in different industries. So I want to talk about your origin story, and I know you got into it just a little bit, but I find it interesting that you have a degree in journalism and you have an MBA, but you don't have a coding background. Instead, you've worked at a number of nonprofits, a number of organizations, and you were actually a director of a healthcare system. Could you talk about how you became interested in technology and how your previous careers prepared you for leading an organization that prepares people to work in a career that is very, very different from where you started from? Sure. So my career, as I've stated, is a non has been nonlinear and I've been able to do so many wonderful things for organizations, as you mentioned, uh, nonprofits. I work for McDonald's. I did a a stint at the White House, just being able to navigate through based on where my passion was at the time or the mission of the organization. And having that opportunity, I've been able to hone my skills, but 
it and been able to diversify the talents that I have. So my basic foundation is there, understanding, like I said, uh, business, but being able to go in and out of different industries in advertising has prepared me to be able to lead organizations in different spaces. How I came into technology, it was a pandemic pivot. And, you know, that's a word we've heard a million times since 2020 pivot. I was laid off from my position, uh, worked for eight years uh, for a healthcare system. And on March 13th, like millions of people, I just heard, got a call from my VP. And my VP said, you know, I'm calling you. I said, no, I don't. And she said, we need to close. But we were closing uh, for a week. And the the words that, that she spoke to me were, we're just going to close for a week until this COVID thing passes over. That's a big LOL, ha, ha, ha. Like, we to think that, you know, in that space, we thought it would just pass over in a week. Well, at the time, I was managing a team of about 130-some people and had to lay off the entire workforce, uh, stayed on. Uh, we switched our, our area over to a COVID testing location for people and just tried to serve our community as best we could until uh, we, you know, completely closed everything down. And I was laid off too. So I wasn't sure what I was going to do next. I knew that there was something else I had been coaching. I'd been working with emerging leaders and emerging entrepreneurs and uh, a coaching space. And it's something that I was really passionate about, but I was also open to other opportunities and so a recruiter reached out to me and said, hey, I think you should talk to um, this founder, executive director from an organization called Resilient Coders. And I said, well, what's that? Looked it up. And I was just enthralled with the mission. I loved the mission and what the organization stood for. So here I am again, looking at a mission of an organization and seeing how I can use my skills set to advance the organization. And um, and that's how I merged into tech. So you mentioned mission, and I, I want to talk about the work that Resilient Coders does. Could you talk about what the organization does and then talk about that mission that the organization has that, that so much influenced you to join the team? Resilient Coders is a free 20-week boot camp. We teach general object-oriented programming principles to students in Boston and Philadelphia, we teach JavaScript, React, Node, HTML, uh, CSS, MongoDB. And during this process, our students learn how to build full stack website applications. They receive a biweekly stipend. And all of the students that enter the program come from low income. Low income. They're all black and brown folks. They're 18 to 30 years old. And when they complete the program, they're placed into jobs with an average salary of $94,000, which to me is a life-sustaining, life-changing wage. And that in itself, you know, uh, being able to be part of a, an organization, part of a mission that is shifting the trajectory for an entire generation and placing them into high-growth careers, it, 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 it spoke to me. The mission is social justice through economic empowerment and the opportunity for meritocracy in tech. And so in 2020, when our world is is really with everything that's going on with George Floyd and, and all of the atrocities that were happening and, and are still happening, 
I was trying to figure out how do I fit in? Like, how can I help? What can I do outside of giving, outside of marching, outside of protesting and all of the other things? But what is a tangible thing that we can do in our community to impact a generation? And so when I heard of Resilient Coders in the mission, I knew that that was the thing that I could do. I could use my skills in business, my influence uh, to to change the landscape, the economic landscape for black and brown folks who are 18 to 30 years old. There are a lot of people who want to pivot into a career in technology that don't feel like they are the type of person that can work in this field. Could you talk about some of the non-technical skills that help people become successful in learning and entering into the technology field? Of course, you have to have the um, the capacity to learn the, the the skill of tech of the technology, but adjacent to that, problem solving, coding. Uh, a lot of what you're doing as a coder is is problem solving. There's a problem, you put the code in, it doesn't work. You have to be uh, have the affinity to to be a, a problem solver, and then you need to know how you learn. Like you need to understand like. Are you a visual learner? Are you auditory? Do you need to read, write things down like kinesthetic? Like how how are you going to learn this skill and stay on top of it? Because there's there's a different iteration for programs almost weekly, monthly at times. So to be able to learn quickly and to stay on your feet. And then um, I also think that you have to have determination and grit. Sometimes when you're working as a, a technologist or a software engineer, you it doesn't work and you go back and then, oh, my goodness, what did I do? Well, is my code broken? You have to stay with it and have that grit and determination not to give up when things seem difficult. One of the debates that comes up over and over again is the value of college degrees versus certificates versus boot camps as a way to get into this technology field. Could you give us kind of your thoughts on, on that debate? When we talk about skills, we we often forget that, or, or maybe people don't understand that there's a talent shortage. You know, we have a talent shortage um, in the arena of tech. And so there are a number of companies and in, in government agencies that are like starting to think about skills versus degree. And when it comes to tech, if the person has the skills, they have a proficiency. There are so many people who have taught themselves, who have read books, who have gone to boot camps, and they become extremely proficient in in the arena. And, you know, we have to look at like, OK, this person has the skill. This person has a degree. Yeah, the person with the degree, they may be able to do more complex things at the moment. But companies have to think about hiring folks that uh, hiring people or hiring a software engineer that they need in six months or a year. Being able to populate their workforce with folks who can do the job who have the skill to do it, who have the capacity to learn quickly so that they don't have a lapse in the workforce. Now, we've all seen horror stories on social media about people going to unreputable training programs to get jobs in the technology space. What should people be looking for or asking questions about when selecting a a training program that'll give them the skills to pivot into a new career? The first thing I would say is, 
Um, for me, I, I often look at reviews. Look at the reviews. The students will tell you if you go online um, and, and go on Twitter or go in different spaces, people will tell you about their experience at a boot camp. Look at their placement rate. Look at look at the curriculum, you know, and, and be able to research what are what are they teaching? Are they teaching you something that's obsolete or is it is it so new that you won't be able to find your footing? Um, look at look at those things, but most importantly, look at the reviews of the organizations. And then I really caution people to look at uh, sometimes there are organizations that charge thousands and thousands of dollars to teach to teach you how to code and you have to sign an income um, an income agreement stating that you'll have to pay back this thousands of dollars when you graduate despite your income and incomes aren't always guaranteed so if you have to pay this money back are you going to be in debt and how you know just make sure you have a plan for execution of the boot camp and also um, execution of how you will pay back the debt if there is debt incurred because of it. I spent some time looking on the Resilient Coders website and I looked at the graduating class uh, and all of them had profiles. Uh, all of them looked like stars. They had portfolios of wonderful work that they're doing uh, and, and they all looked like us and it made me excited. And, and so my question becomes, what are some of the things that Resilient Coder is doing uh, to make sure that people who finish the program are able to get a job in the tech space? One of the things um, that we do is we um, partner with organizations that are like-minded that are looking for junior software engineers. And so we partner with these organizations very early in the process and they are able to come to a meet and greet very early in the matriculation process to meet our students. And then they're a part of the behavioral mock, we call it a mock behavioral interview, where they're, they're the ones doing the mock behavioral interview, then they're doing the mock technical interview. And then they get to invited back for the students capstone project, which is a demo day project. So we're inviting the employers to come and partner with us. And they're walking alongside the students and watching them grow um, and then providing them with an opportunity. And when they provide them with an opportunity, they already know they already have an idea of this, who this person is. They already they've already had the opportunity to watch them grow and uh, have be able to ask them those tech questions on building their projects, what the challenges were, what the opportunities were, what did they learn? And what we find is that that relationship building experience creates, it creates those, those pathways into those jobs uh, for the student and, and the onboarding process is more seamless. There have been a number of recent layoffs uh, in the tech industry. How are you preparing graduates for this type of transitioning job market? It is a it is a transition transitioning job market and we are experiencing, you know, the decline in hiring as well. And you know, one thing we're very upfront and transparent with our students and let them know like hey, right now a lot of our partners and a lot of organizations are not hiring uh, due to an economic downturn. 
However, um, one of the one of the things that we do during the program is uh, it's called Hustle Week, and students have to go out and get a client and a signed contract, a paid contract, and work with someone to build their website. And so, what we've been doing is employing that thought process for our students of uh, being an entrepreneur while we continue to work on relationships and open um, those new doors because there's a shortage in tech. However, um, their companies still need software engineers, hospitals, pharmacies, there are different industries that, that still need um, software engineers. So we want to make sure that we share the right message so that so that people don't give up on the dream of becoming a junior software engineer or a software engineer. Yes, right now, a lot of companies, there's a decline in hiring, but um, there are, are other companies that are hiring and looking for talent. We just want to be in the place where uh, the folks who are looking for talent find our brilliant students and alumni. I start every episode of this podcast, along with every cybersecurity and data privacy law school class that I teach, with a discussion of cybersecurity or a privacy issue in the news. Is there a story in the news that we should be keeping our eye on? This story is appealing to me because of my, um, I enjoy uh, occasional glee scrolling through TikTok. And when, when you're just waiting for an appointment or you can look at TikTok or look at videos that are uploaded to IG or Facebook from TikTok. And it's, it's just amazing to me right now um, that there's such a debate of data privacy. And it's not just TikTok. It's across, it's across multiple apps, multiple industries. And we come up with these different technologies and we don't always have the laws to coincide with the technology. We think about chat GPT and uh, we think about TikTok. And what all, what gets me is data privacy. Like, yes, we have the Digital Services Act. We have uh, different laws that are coming into fruition, but are the laws coming into fruition fast enough to protect us as individuals, our privacy, our information, our social security numbers, our bank accounts, all of those things that when we access these these apps on our phones, we're just wide open, like our lives are on our phones now. So um, I think we should be paying attention to, you know, just what the law, um, you know, how laws are maturing for these areas, as well as being very cautious in what we click on and who, you know, when we share our bank account information, when we share our children's names and even our pictures, just be just to be more mindful of that as as we um, as we innovate. There have been so many reports, studies and articles that talk about a workforce shortage when it comes to uh, tech, IT and cybersecurity jobs. What should we be doing to fill this workforce shortage? I think we're a solution. Resilient Coders is a solution. We are a boot camp. We are accredited. We've been in existence since 2014. And, and it's not just Resilient Coders. There are other great um, alternative pathways out there for folks to go through. Girls Who Code, Proscolis, Year Up. Um, there are so many. Um, I think that organizations, companies, government agencies 
need to consider looking at alternative talent pathways. Uh, I was looking and preparing for our conversation that there are 1.4 million jobs that could open to workers. Um, if you don't have a college degree, are you disqualified, especially over the next five years? So we need to um, we need to consider alternative talent pathways. But here's the thing. We have to be careful that we make sure that there's no discrepancy in salary for those who don't have um, the the degree. You know, we don't want to see the folks with a degree get paid less or get paid more than folks who are doing the same job and have the same skills. So we want to make sure that uh, there's no discrepancy in salary. You think about Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and Paul Allen and Mark Zuckerberg and all of those gentlemen who didn't necessarily have a degree. And we we laud them for it. We praise them for it. We celebrate them for it. They're billionaires. We don't want to take a workforce that comes not just from black and brown folks, but uh, folks who come into the workforce. We want to make sure that there that there's equity in pay when we open these opportunities up. We talk a lot about diversity on this podcast when it comes to addressing workforce shortage issues. Could you talk about the importance of building a diverse workforce? Racism is a distraction. Racism keeps you from doing your work. When we have to constantly explain and validate our existence and our reason for living, it's a distraction. And I believe it impedes the advancement of humankind. Uh, We have to have diverse diversity in technology. I think about they call it now, I was reading recently about the new Jim Code, not Jim Crow, Jim Code, and about discriminatory design and how racist values and assumptions are built into our tech systems. I, I know you've heard before about the, the hotel that had the dispenser, the soap dispenser issue because they created technology. It was near infrared t- technology to detect the hand motions, but it could not t- detect darker skin. And that's a that's a design discrimination. That's a dis- d- discriminatory design issue. If there's diversity in the room, if we have more uh, diversity around the table, some of these issues can be resolved because there's more voices to speak to it. So we need diversity, yes, to have uh, more black and brown folks in the room to be able to speak to issues. But we also need to have uh, equity in these spaces so that we resolve world issues, so that we resolve world problems and, and, and heal diseases. This is not just about equity in that space. It's also about advancement and innovation. And when you have more experiences around the table, we're able to advance and solve issues faster and uh, and make the world a better place. It sounds cliche, but that's what we're that's what we do. So as part of your job, you you talk with other companies who are, are want to partner with resilient coders and, and talk to them about the importance of hiring your graduates. What would you say to companies that don't partner with you uh, when it comes to the importance of having a diverse work field uh, and, and things that they can do to increase diversity uh, in the ranks of their companies? I would say, um, uh, you know, we, we often position ourselves now around the space of de- uh, diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging. And so when I talk to 
a lot of uh, CEOs and um, executives about hiring our students, they say, oh, yes, we have a yes, we have a DEI person that you can talk to or they automatically they often I won't say always, but they often talk about DEI and diversity and how important it is in their in their organization. And those are great. Those are all great things. But I want people to and I should say, I want people to see our students as, uh, yes, they're beautifully uh, they're beautiful, brilliant black and brown software engineers. But that's not the only reason you should hire them. You should hire them because they're good. You should hire them because they're talented. You should hire them because they are the solution to some of your organization's issues, not just in the people issue, but the infrastructure issue and the business model issue. They are the solution. They're coders. They catch on quick. If you can teach them, they'll learn it quickly. So um, we don't want to just, you know, focus on, oh, yes, thank you. Yes, I have I have a DEI. Yes, we, we do this for DEI. No, we do it because the students are worthy and they are good and they shouldn't have to validate their their strength based specifically or only on their color. Could you let us know of any upcoming talks or conferences that you're going to be speaking at and where people can find you on the Internet? Yes, uh, you can find you can find us at resilientcoders.org. Uh, you can find us on LinkedIn. We're also on Twitter as Resilient Coders. And we'd love to to have conversations with folks who are hiring. We'd love to um, have conversations with folks who have students and have uh, young adults who are interested in coding. And you can also find me at ayanalot.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciated the conversation. Thank you.